Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Hey folks, I am super excited to tell you a bit about today's new sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, MMC hosts different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like Bill Frizzell, Kurt Rosenwinkel, Julian Lodge, Mark Rabot, Wayne Krantz, O'Teal Burbridge, the Milk Carton Kids, and so many more. At an event like Alternative Guitar Summit Camp happening this August, you can expect in-depth workshops with guitar masters, once-in-a-lifetime performances, the opportunity to play alongside your favorite musicians, and a lot of fun. You'll leave this event packed full of wisdom and with a whole community of musicians to create with. This all-inclusive week in the Catskills Mountains of upstate New York is guaranteed to be magical. Scholarships are available. Spots are extremely limited. So visit www.alternativeguitarsummitcamp.com moods to learn more. Osiris. Moods and Modes is presented by Osiris Media and made possible thanks to our Patreon community. To support the podcast directly, go to patreon.com slash Alex Skolnick. From Brooklyn, New York, this is Moods and Modes. I'm your host, Alex Skolnick. I'm probably best known as a professional guitarist. I'm also a writer, a photographer, and someone who occasionally gets told to keep his opinions to himself on Twitter. This podcast will involve music and guitar, but it may take us to some unexpected places as well. So, thank you for joining me, and let's do this. Hey everybody, my name is Alex, and I hate to fade this music, isn't it nice? But I must start the show. This is episode 16 of Moods and Modes, our sweet 16. And the music you were hearing is by our guest today, Mr. Rez Abazi. Now Rez was supposed to be on the show a while ago, and there's a little story behind that, which I'll tell you right now. Going to tell you a little story about a man named Rez. Sorry, that just popped into my head. So uh, going way back to 2019, remember then? Uh, the middle of the year. This show was nothing more than a concept, a vision, a thought, a figment of imagination, if you will. And among the first people I thought of for doing the show was Rez. 
not just for his musical skills, which he clearly has in droves, as you'll see, but also in terms of cross-cultural currents, diverse influences, and other themes that have since become embedded into this show. Now, on the one hand, this could be an episode about somebody who grew up in Southern California from a very young age, surrounded by American culture in the greater Los Angeles region, listening to rock on FM radio and drawn to the guitar by the likes of Van Halen, Rush, and other usual suspects. On the other hand, this episode could be about somebody born in Karachi, Pakistan, who fuses influences of the traditional music of that region, including Kavali and Indian classical, and is also considered one of the leading figures of modern jazz guitar, appearing in prestigious polls such as the Downbeat Magazine International Critics Poll, alongside such names as Bill Frizzell and Pat Metheny. So Rez occupies this interesting space, perhaps not as well known in the greater guitar community as far as the mainstream guitar magazines and the shredders and so forth, yet quite well known and appreciated by the smaller but far more discriminating, let's call them fine arts music fans, the serious jazz listeners, the world music community. Yet he's never lost touch with his rock and prog sides either making Rez the embodiment of what this show is all about. So as mentioned earlier, Rez was one of the first planned guests for Moods and Modes. The fact that we live on opposite sides of New York led to the first attempt at an on-location episode. We met in Manhattan, midway between Harlem, where he is, and Brooklyn, where I am. And it was great to meet up. It went really well. The problem is there were some technical issues on my end. I was still getting it together. I was still very new at this. And also the rehearsal place where we met turned out to be very reverby, less than ideal. So the 2019 footage of Rez and I survives, and we will hear some of it with apologies in advance for the sound quality. And while it's nice that we're in the same room talking and playing, it's good that the episode is not dependent on it. We had a very good conversation the other day over Zoom, and I have to say that overall it's worked out well that these two years were able to go by, although it really feels like one year. 2020 doesn't count as a year, right? <laughs> so there's two reasons why I think this has worked out for the best. One being that we are more than a dozen episodes in now. So just with that experience of doing the podcast, I'm able to bring you a better Rez Abazi episode than I might have before. The other reason is that over the course of this time, Rez has done some really interesting work that gives us some topics that we weren't able to discuss the first time around. In particular, I'm referring to his newest album called Django Shift, which is like an impressionistic view of the work of the late great Django Reinhardt. And a very interesting collaboration with Isabelle Olivier from uh, Francais. She is a harpist, and uh, the music you were hearing in the beginning is some of that project. A commission for a film score. And also, uh, just last month, one of the most prestigious grants, the Guggenheim Fellowship, was awarded. And one of the recipients was none other than our guest today, Rez. So yes, two years from the very first steps of beginning an episode until its release is too long. However, this delay brought us three new albums of Rez's to discuss. Yes, three. And we are speaking with a Guggenheim fellow. 
So before I wrap up this rap, I will just add that I find Rez to be quite prolific. The pace at which he puts out recordings, all of which are high quality, quite different from one another, depending on the project, and some of which you might not even guess it's the same artist other than the guitar playing. So hearing all this, you're probably expecting somebody who comes across as ultra-serious, hyper-driven, with a scowl and a frown that might bring to mind the face of someone like Beethoven. Yet the complete opposite is true. Rezabazi is, to use the language of his native region, and I don't mean Pakistan, I mean L.A., a chill dude, man. In fact, he considers himself a bit lazy, thinks he could use a bit more focus at times, which we discuss. I'm sure you'll agree he's doing just fine. So on all these notes, it gives me great pleasure to welcome to Moods and Modes, Rez Abazi. Actually, uh, the New York uh, Guitar Festival hired, uh, commissioned me to um, write a new score that would be performed live to uh, the Mahabharata, which is uh, a story from the Mahabharata, uh, which is the uh, Sanskrit epic uh, uh, work from India, early India. And so this is a, this is a film that's based on that, and it's called The Throw of Dice. And it's a, a silent film. It's like an hour or something and, and change. And, um, and so I created a score for that, and then we recorded it. And, you know, it's no longer live. It's on... It's on uh, audio so yeah. uh so it's it, that came out as a record because i was really happy with you know stepping outside of my wheelhouse and yeah. outside of the box yeah, yeah did you not, not done, done that before you, you, are, you know no no and it's silent it's a silent movie so there's no audio so there's there's no like even door creaking you can't rely on anything uh-huh. really at, at that point so um so if you if you step out of the, the film for 10 seconds or something, uh, something sounds wrong. You know, whereas if you see a, a audio film, you know, hey, people are walking and you can hear the walking and you, know, yeah. you don't need to have, you know, fill it with uh, music all the time. Yeah, that was a challenge right there to, to keep it going. But um, but so I was essentially I was really happy with the way I stepped outside of my own box as a jazz musician, because it's not really about. Uh, pure improvisation uh, in that sense. It's, there was a lot of composing that happened, and then there was room for improvisation. That's the way I was thinking of it, you know. Yeah. Uh, and and of course the characters were really interesting, and you know, the, from the uh, night it was 1929. Oh my right? goodness! So the characters are they look different, you know, and it's all in India. So uh, and it was it was uh, done by a German um, uh, director. Yeah, I don't know about the film. So. Yeah, it's really cool. Uh, it's it's actually on my website. Um, you, it's it's uh, it's on YouTube, but it's a, it's a, a, a private link, so you have to go to my website too. Yeah. yeah, and then you can hear the whole thing and watch the whole thing because of uh, whatever. Oh, oh cool. cool. Copyright issues there are, there are with YouTube, you know, which there are many. <laughs> yeah. And allow me to jump in for one moment. Rez is not kidding about YouTube copyright issues. In fact, I checked the link, and unfortunately, it is no longer valid. So hopefully, it will be restored and fixed at some point. In the meantime, if you do a search for the film he's talking about, it's called A Throw of Dice. It does come up online, and... There's a version with music by an artist, Nitin Swanee, who I actually know, <laughs> coincidentally, a London-based artist specializing in classical crossover. 
But the album, A Throw of Dice, also comes up when you do a search, and that's the music by Rez. However, to get the full effect of it, it really helps to watch it with scenes from this film from 1929, which is visually stunning. Fortunately, there is a trailer online that you can see. The music you're hearing now is from that trailer put out by Whirlwind Recordings. And watching that trailer, first thing you see here is a man out in the fields of nature playing what appears to be a bugle-like instrument indigenous to the region. And then you see a live tiger. You see people riding camels. You see a procession or a caravan of people riding elephants. And it's all real and it's pretty spectacular. And despite this modern sound of Rez's music and the fact that the film is practically 100 years old, somehow it works really well together. That's one of the records that came out uh, that uh, maybe after we talked. Yeah, that's impressive. So <laughs> I can't believe you've had three records since then. Well, that was sort of in the... That was already, already on their way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was molding itself, you know, like, yeah. uh, you know, the, the, I was figuring this stuff out when we talked, probably when we talked, but... Um, Is that with a band? band? Yeah, yeah, it's, uh -huh. a, it's, a, it's a, court, a quintet, actually, uh -huh. yeah. with a bass and cello mm -hmm. uh, and uh, a saxophone and, and bunsuri flute. Mm -hmm. These people, they all, we all double, basically. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, you know, I played acoustic guitar, electric guitar, and sitar guitar. Okay, okay. Uh, and then there's a drummer and then a, a Merdangan player who played other uh, South Indian percussion. So it was a very versatile group. And that was another reason why I really want, clamped down and I wanted to write some as, as well as I could, you know, because yeah, yeah. there was so much versatility within the instrumentation mm -hmm. and the players that I just felt like I got to take advantage of this. So, well, real quick, the sitar guitar, was this like one of those classic, like the choral yeah. sitar? Yeah, it was actually not choral. It's a... Uh, uh, now, who's that? Who's that? I barely use this thing, but yeah. uh, you know that, that 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 guitar maker who that builder who makes a lot of different sort of he doesn't make them all out of wood all the time, but it's a well-known company. But uh, and I believe the name we are trying to come up with here is Jerry Jones, maker of good quality instruments based on guitars from the '60s far more affordable than the original versions. This brings up an interesting point. Uh, it seems to me that some of the most creative music is being made on instruments that don't cost that much money. <laughs> if you're a Keith Urban or a Kirk Hammett or a Joe Bonamassa and fortune has shined upon you and you can buy these instruments that cost as much as an entire house, I call them house guitars, Bless you, you are so lucky. But it's not necessary for making great art. In fact, one of our early episodes was called The Case for a Cheap Strat, and that was with Nir Felder, who is in the same modern jazz circles as Rez, and plays the same inexpensive Mexican Stratocaster he always has. Coming up, Rez and I talk about a couple of his favorite guitars made by Yamaha and Washburn that cost under $1,000. One of them costs under $500. He found it in a London pawn shop, of all places, while making this wonderful recording with a French harpist, which he talks about now. And then the other project I did uh, was one with um, Is Isabelle Olivier. Yeah, she's a French harpist. Mm. And um, uh, she, you know, well, we, I guess, got a grant. <laughs> I mean, uh -huh. she did it, but <laughs> I helped, I guess. Uh, 
to uh, um, it's 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 called FACE. I think it's called French American Cultural Exchange. So oh, nice, so we, nice acronym. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so uh, they gave us a grant to um, record and practice and discover this what we can do together as a guitarist and as a harpist uh, and as a harpist. So um, we did an album. Uh, I wrote a number of tunes. She wrote a number of tunes, and then we decided to use uh, some players in France, um, uh, a tabla player and um, and a drummer, jazz kind of drummer and a tabla player. And uh, so we, you know, we uh, sketched that out, went there and made a record. Record, and it's it just was really cool. It's just interesting to hear harp and and it was an acoustic guitar too by the way all acoustic yeah uh, yeah for, for he actually used electronics which is funny because it was ironic because oh, yeah. the harpist going for some electronics where i used you know my yeah company. so the harpist had pedals and stuff or? yeah i mean it, it's not like prevalent or anything all yeah. the time but it's just it's just you know she she went for a modern i simply had my my uh you know nice you know, this is basic. Was it this guitar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why. Yeah. Oh, that's a nice one. That's a Yamaha cutaway. Well, this, yeah. The strange thing is, I would have never thought so, but but I was in the UK and I needed an acoustic guitar, uh-huh. and uh, and uh, there was a pawn shop that had this. Oh, okay. And uh, so after we rented it, I was like, man, I really like this guitar, <laughs> you know, uh-huh. and and I bought it for like I don't know, two hundred pounds or something. It was nothing, right? Wow. So That's so great. I just love it, man. It's, it's a strange thing. They often come to you by accident, I think. Well, yeah, and that, that and also the the fact that it's so inexpensive. It's, it's you know, it's. Yeah. I expected a guitar to, you know, to play and feel like that, which would be like $2,500 and plus, you know, more and more, you know. Yeah. That kind of, I've had very expensive guitars, too. And, they're, they're, of course, this is, doesn't compare in terms of, nuance and all that but there's some magic in it that yeah sometimes those have what you need yeah yamaha is great for inexpensive guitars and they make a few expensive ones too the expensive ones aren't as expensive as some but you can find you know these gems yeah this is this is certainly uh no no look uh, i don't know if i went and picked out another one just like this if it would be the gem that this is yeah but that's a different story. This just happened to be worked in and really just, it almost plays like an electric, you know, this allows me to sort of open my doors a little. What's the model of that guitar? Uh, you know, I don't even, <laughs> I don't even know. Yeah. Um, oh, it's a, uh, APX dash five A. Okay. Yeah. You know, it's got a vibe. It's kind of, it's just got, I mean, I have my headphones. I can't even hear well, but. Yeah, it's, it's coming through. That's it. It's got, it's got a playability, let's say, mm-hmm. you know, that, that some acoustic guitars don't have, you know, right. even lower the springs and the action. This has got a wider neck and, you know, so it's, it's cool. So. Um, I could never remember the names of my Yamaha's yeah. So it was always these crazy numbers, yeah. NCX something. They probably, yeah, they probably have a lot of guitars and a lot of different. Yeah. Things, so. The names, uh, but, I mean, they they sound like robots from Star Wars or something. You know, my, sometimes yeah, they, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe it's better to just name, give it a name. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, but, exactly. yeah, yeah. But as long as it plays, yeah. yeah. Now the third project, 
is also with my acoustic guitar. So, <laughs> um, in the same one, but it's also with the, oh, it's also here. I got this. Yeah, this is a fretless. Yeah, I see. It's very, oud, it's a little oud-like. A little bit, yeah. A little Jocko-like. It's like, yeah. It just brings, yeah, brings to mind a couple of uh, Jocko moments and a little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it has, it has all that. Here's a quick sample of Rez's fretless guitar in action on his most recent recording. But the third project I was talking about, um, it, it was it's called Django Shift, and it's the most recent one. <laughs> yes, that's and, the uh, one that I was most aware of. Yeah, and that that one uh, is uh, sort of recontextualizing Django Reinhardt's compositions, uh, which I personally and a lot of people don't really know about. Um, you know, uh, we know the few Django Reinhardt compositions, but we really know him as as you know the. Daredevil guitar player, yeah, the the, the one of the ultimate uh, guitar yeah. gods, yeah. and that sort of overshadows his, you know, his compositional uh, ability. You know. Minor swing is minor swing. Okay, that's Nuage. that's probably his biggest one. Nuages. Yeah, yeah, those are those are the kind of ones I whatever yeah. I kind of heard, uh, but then I realized, man, he's got he's got hundreds uh, yeah. at least. I went through his whole his whole uh, catalog pretty much. I mean, maybe I skipped a few things, but. And it was just like, I mean, I spent weeks listening to Django Reinhardt and I picked out the tunes that I thought I can really mess with and I can bring to my own aesthetic because yeah. God forbid I wanted to imitate, you know, uh, anything to do with the, with his sound or the what they call the gypsy jazz sound. That's not that's not me. Right. And just to explain what he means by gypsy jazz sound for anybody that doesn't understand that term, you've probably heard it whether you realize it or not. Here's a quick sample of the man most associated with that term, Django Reinhardt. But these are the two guitars I used for that album. And uh... these are the Yamaha, what was the other one? The fretless? <clears throat> yeah, these are funny. And who makes the fretless? Washburn. <laughs> Washburn, wow. Yeah, <clears throat> now the Washburn is one I got <clears throat> um, years ago, and it had frets on it. Uh -huh. Oh, wow. So you yeah, you, yeah. you yeah, really converted. This is a, a fixer-upper. <laughs> it's a fi Yeah, I pulled off the, the defixer-upper. I pulled off the frets. <laughs> um, but... Uh, Reverse uh, fixer ever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's kind of interesting because I would I, honestly, I mean, I never thought I would be using Yamaha in a Washburn, honestly. <laughs> yeah. You're right there with the, the rockers, you know, Washburn. <laughs> I think of, uh, well, I think Paul Stanley played a Washburn for a while. 
Yeah. Well, this is this is from their custom shop, so it was actually pretty expensive. It was like over mm-hmm. two grand and, and all that. So I, I'm not saying you know they have their. Yeah, I knew they made high quality instruments. I know they were sort of most known for yeah. the, the sort of affordable ones. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so you know, b- both these came in handy, man. And 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 the and the records, it's really interesting because you know here I am on acoustic the whole time. Yet we go into sort of a crossover, uh, if you will, fusion land on a couple of tunes. And some some of the arrangements are really hard hitting, and uh-huh. but I'm still playing acoustic, so I'm happy with that. Okay, here's one of the original recordings of Django Reinhardt, a song called "Swing 42," from back in guess when? 1942. <laughs> Now see if you can recognize Swing 42 as recorded by Reza Bazi and the band. Of course, the, the 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 Django Gypsy diehards might not dig it because you know how that is. It's sort of like yes. I took his music and I recontextualized it. Yeah, I'm an artist. Yeah, you know? that's kind of what artists are supposed to do. Um, that's what you know. That's what I always think. But yeah, yeah. There's always there's there are those in every scene. Yeah, and it's if it's if that's their hero, you know, then yeah. you're sort of like, well, I wouldn't do that. Why should he? Oh yeah. Why should someone like me do that? No, I'm not you. So, you yeah. know, there's there's room for everything. That's what I, that's the way I believe. I remember reading about uh, Borelli Legrain in an interview a long time ago. And just to elaborate, Borelli Legrain is a fabulous French gypsy guitar player who was a child prodigy, even playing alongside Stefan Grappelli, Django's violinist, who was aging at that time, at uh, gypsy jazz festivals in France. It's a very celebrated art form, and he was widely seen as the heir to the throne of Django Reinhardt. He went through a phase. He's, he was playing electric guitars. He was into Van Halen. <laughs> he was doing, like, two-handed eruption stuff on guitar, jamming with Jocko. Yeah, there was a huge backlash, apparently, in the uh, oh, really? wow. the Gypsy Django community. <laughs> what, uh, what the hell's wrong with this guy? You know, he sold yeah, out. Is. And then he came He came back, and they, they forgave it. But it was like um, it was like LeBron James going yeah. to Miami, you know, and then coming yeah, back yeah, to Cleveland. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think you're right about that. Uh, you know, it's risky at the same time. Uh, you know, it's obvious. It's yeah. like, why not take this this thing that was sort of couched in a swing language, you know, chunk, 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 you know, I mean, every, yeah. most of the cuts are like pretty much four to the floor. Yeah. And allow me to pop in for a moment, those of you who are not musicians or may not know the term four to the floor, that refers to the time signature four, four, and specifically the rhythmic pattern of four quarter notes played on the downbeat without any extra notes in between. For example, if you've ever witnessed a drum solo, specifically an 80s rock drum solo, you may have heard the drummer attempt to get the audience to clap along by playing a pattern similar to this. 
Four beats played on the kick drum, which is on the floor, four to the floor. Uh, the melodic stuff I totally kept. Like that's the one thing I felt yeah. like was needed to be responsible. I needed to be responsible just to hold on to those melodies as they are. But then the rest of it, you know, there's so many elements in music that you can mess with components like, you know, harmony, obviously rhythm, texture, yeah. you know, freeness versus, you know, playing right in, in the pocket. There's, there's so many ways to address the stuff as an arranger. Uh, and, and, you know, I always thought of it as a, as a composer. I didn't even think I'm rearranging this. I thought I'm kind of recomposing this, although I'm retaining the melody. So it's, it's an interesting clash in a way within myself. I think it's such a great idea because also the, the bar was set so high. Right? <laughs> so I think it's really asking a lot of people to say, okay, you have to stick within these confines. There's just so few people that can even come close to that. You know, Borelli, I think, is one of, one of the few. Right, right, definitely, yeah. Um, and, and, and I mean, and the rest of us aren't, I mean, you know, my approach wasn't to try to come close to that. I mean, that's not, that's not even part of the deal. Yeah, that's more authentic, I think. Not to compare myself to one of my heroes, but it's, it's like Frizzell or Schofield, if mm-hmm. they came and did that, they wouldn't start playing like like that either, you know? Yeah. They yeah. play themselves within that framework. And that's what that's what I look up to. That's what my uh, sort of uh, MO is, you know? That's a great way to look at it. you doing everybody are you enjoying the conversation with rez enjoying the music i know i am and this places us in the approximate half hour zone this is when we traditionally take some sort of break do some housekeeping and then get back to the second half of the program By the way, that song is called Heavy Artillery by Django Reinhardt, obviously written during the World War II era. And I just love the spin Rez has put on it with his rearrangement. All right, so I'm going to keep this brief. I know I always say that, but we do have a lot to get to. This is a longer than average episode, but for good reason, as you will see. To begin, I'd like to welcome the first official sponsor of Moods and Modes, Music Masters Collective. 
I've had the great pleasure of being a part of several Music Masters events. It's always a great time, fun and educational, and it's an honor to have them on board as an official sponsor. By the way, this is not the ad. You may have heard the ad right now. I'm not sure where it's going to be placed. It's one of those drop-in ads, which is known in the business as a dynamic insertion which sounds like an evasive procedure, but it's not, I assure you. By the way, that applause came straight from the pod track. It's built in there, the pod track by Zoom North America, who we consider an unofficial sponsor and has hooked us up with some great podcasting equipment. And let's not forget our Patreon members who have sponsored us unofficially from the beginning and got us to this point. And I should mention Christina Collins from Osiris Media, who is responsible for coordinating our sponsorship. Thank you, Christina. So let's begin the next segment of the show. Here, we're going to time travel to the back half of 2019 with Rez and I in the same room. This is pre-COVID, of course. As mentioned up front, there are a number of issues with the audio. For one thing, the Manhattan rehearsal space where we met turned out to be very reverby, which means it sounds like we're in a high school gymnasium. I didn't know that going into it. And also, while I recorded our guitars digitally, the original tracks seem to have vanished. I don't know what happened in the two years since. I don't usually have that problem. However, they sound okay uh, captured on the MP3 recording. So you can also hear us talking while we're playing, which is kind of a cool feature. So we'll make the best of it. And first, you're going to hear us discussing odd rhythmic meters. And we're going to play a little bit on a vamp that Rez wrote in a challenging time signature. Let's listen. I have this one, one tune that's in 13. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like A flat, huh? Yeah, A flat, yeah. Yeah, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, one, two, three. Wait, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, four, one, two, three, yeah. Again, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, yeah, so. jumping in for a moment i have to admit this is not a time signature i'm used to playing over 13 um more common odd time signatures are seven four which is used a lot by rush do 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 or uh the jazz five four but 13 is unusual so here i'm just kind of finding my bearings and rez was very patient with me you can blow and then I'll just keep this.
right, just a quick thought on this. Listening back, I'm realizing how to better feel this time signature. So if you break it down to two parts, the first half is something we're quite used to in Western music. Four beats. But then the fast five beats is trickier. So you put those together, you get... So you can try saying the second half with any five-note phrase. It's traditionally taught with Indian syllables, such as taki taki. But you could use English words as well. For example, talking and driving, shucking and jiving, Hansel and Gretel, chicken and waffles, or whatever. So feeling that in a repeating part, like a riff or a vamp, is hard enough. But improvising is a whole other story. And I admit I'm generally a pretty good improviser, but improvising alongside Reza Bazi is what I'd imagine it's like to act alongside Meryl Streep. You do what you can and learn. Because uh, that, that, you know, when I first started playing on, well, on these odd meters about that, uh, it, t- it takes a second to, to feel that shortness. Yeah, you know. yeah. Because then it sounds like it's for the sake of... For the like, sake the, of like the composer yeah. didn't dis- actually discover something that's natural, that they, they sort of pushed themselves into this, this territory. Yeah. Because that's, that's what happens a lot with the Western... Uh, not there's just Western, but, you know, a lot of the jazz musicians who start putting odd meters, you know? Right, it sounds forced. Yeah, sometimes, yeah. sometimes. I mean, some of them are doing great, but the, some of them are, like, you know, sort of like, hmm... That sounds kind like, of why are they doing stiff. That? stiff. Yeah. I think that's what I'm trying to. Unlike Mashuga, who, <laughs> who, who sounds very natural, but we, a lot just, of their stuff is in four four. Which is so interesting. So many uh, people I know from the jazz world. That's the yeah, one metal yeah. band. They all yeah, know yeah. And yeah, I know those guys, and I've yeah. played on festivals. Oh, yeah, I'm sure yeah. you have. Yeah, and they're great. Oh, they're, yeah, they're insane. Amazing yeah. to watch. I've never seen them live, man. Unfortunately, I have to. They recently played, but. Um, I never It'd be fun to get a bunch of uh, jazz folks yeah. out. To they probably don't have to. They're probably already there. Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. If anybody's wondering who we're talking about and doesn't know the name Mushuga, it's a metal band from Sweden. They've been around um, God, a couple decades, I believe, at this point. And while the name sounds like it would be a punk klezmer band, uh, they don't speak Yiddish. They're not even Jewish. But they are very known for their time signatures, layers of time signatures and ultra heavy music 
And if you see them in concert, the audience looks mainly like a typical metal audience. However, they do have a small following among jazz musicians, including professional musicians. I've met a few, even worked with some, the type who wouldn't know Black Sabbath from the Bay City Rollers, yet they know Meshuggah. Here's a quick sample of their music. Yeah, they just, they have like multiple Yeah, which is really cool. Going on. Yeah, yeah. It'd be interesting to hear a band like that do 13 or something like that. That's true. Not that they have to, would need to actually, but it would be, it might be kind of neat. So Rush is a big influence. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. those guys, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. I used to play all that stuff in high school. Oh, Twenty-one, twelve. Oh, I played that whole front wreck. The wow. first. So you can't. You went from rush to. Well, I, went from, I kind of did everything before I was sixteen. Yeah. It's kind of weird, you know. It's like okay. Zeppelin to Van Halen to to finally getting into more progressive stuff, which was Rush. I thought. Yeah. Um, and then I discovered jazz, and and you know, sixteen. It's like. And it was all. Okay, wait action. a minute, man. You know this this stuff is great, but. Jazz is if I'm going to go to college, yeah, yeah, for something other than business, you know, if I want right. to actually go to to music school, I'm not going to go to be a rock star. Right. I'm going to go to to learn. Yeah, you don't you don't go to well, college yeah, to be a rock. Star. Yeah, yeah. I want to go to learn jazz and classical music. Okay, one moment here. Yet another challenge with this on-location recording. I had booked this studio that specializes in music lessons. So bands don't rehearse there. There's no drums. I figured it's going to be quiet. Maybe we'll hear a little bit of piano. Yes, they have pianos. Maybe a guitar lesson. But we'd barely be able to hear it. (laughs) Well, we happen to be next to an opera lesson. (laughs) I tried to get us moved. No luck. So if you hear a... That's happening next door. And then, then these colleges provided that, so there was it was in. And I told you my parents were pretty liberal, so they saw me practicing really like diligently. They saw you were working hard. At yeah, it. They, they saw me. My mom says her dream was there when I said I'm quitting my rock band uh-huh. and, and I'm, I'm going to be home all day. Oh, okay. And she's like, what? And that was like overnight. Oh, because wow. I saw Joe Pass. And, oh, and I was like, shit. Wow. I was like, I just can't. I quit my rock band. Everybody thought I was a nerd. Yeah. And yeah. just sat there and practiced. And they saw that. And then I told them, look, I want to go to college for this. That's great. And they're like, well, okay, yeah, you cool. just knew what you wanted to do. Well, yeah, they just, I, yeah. I dropped so many, th- you know, th- th- there's a sacrifice that needs to be had, you mm-hmm. know, with, 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 uh, with anything uh, on this level. For sure. Yeah. Even oh, though so much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even though it doesn't. Yeah, we could go on about that. Yeah, yeah. No, people have no idea. Yeah, they have, they have no idea. There's so many elements, mm. uh, uh, even beyond the physicality of it, the psychological. Man, mm. there's so much psychology that goes into trying to perform yeah. on a nightly basis or a week or whatever. Yeah. Getting gigs, like no. you said, you know, like, you know, just. The travel. Yeah, the. Yeah, the travel. Getting, Getting ripped off, get, yeah, well, things going wrong, which often happen. I, a yeah, lot of not being able to get your guitar on board. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's just like the, the list is just like a laundry list. Of I know. Crap. I think so many people who wish they were in a position are you know, just 
living off music could not handle some of the things that we had to well, deal with. Yeah, it's not just sitting around at home and yeah. and then taking selfies and saying, "Hey, I'm on the road." I mean, that's like yeah, the exactly. very serious icing on the on the you know um, on the very yeah. difficult cake. Yeah, it's, <laughs> not, know, it's, it's like, not just the parts they see publicly. And, no, 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 no. Yeah, no, not at all. Yeah. But it looks shiny. <laughs> all right, I hope that wasn't too distracting. <laughs> oh, in the background. Chalk it up to a learning experience during our period of pre-launch development. In the future, we plan to have far superior arrangements for this type of interactive on-location episode of Moods and Modes. So thank you for putting up with that. Hopefully you are still able to focus on our dialogue, which seems too good for the cutting room floor. And in the meantime, let's get back to our more recent conversation in slightly higher quality. So Django Shift, when did that come out? Is that uh, your, that's uh, your they, most recent came, right? Yeah, they came out last year. So it is the most recent thing. And... You know, it, 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 it had its accolades and all that. The only thing is we can't travel to support it. So, right, right. And I'm not, I'm not really, I don't want to really do this live streaming business a, as a makeup for, for a concert. I mean. Yeah, I've, I've, I've done a couple of those and yeah. it's, it's, it's strange. It's surreal. It's not the same. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a little tough, you know, and I've done a bunch with Kieran, my wife, you know, yeah. and it, she gets a lot of, calls from like world music, you know, uh, platforms. And then we're like, yeah, sure. You know, so we, we, we have all our setup here and everything and we do it. You guys do those. Yeah. Those duos you guys do are great. The wonderful Kieran Alawani. Oh yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. She was on one of your records. Yeah. 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 That was uh, how we met. And we can't go further without acknowledging Kieran Alawalia, who has a very special voice and has a lot in common with Rez, in addition to being married. <laughs> she was also born in South Asia and grew up in the West, although in her case, it was not Pakistan, but northern India to Punjabi parents and raised in Toronto, Canada. She would go on to become a Juno Award winner. That's the Canadian equivalent of the Grammys. And her and Rez have recorded lots of music together. In fact, I had heard them in the mid to late 90s because I had a student from South Asia. He was actually Nepalese and brought in this music. He said, you really need to hear the guitar on this. And it was Rez and Kieran. And at that point, my entire knowledge of Indian music consisted of John McLaughlin with Shakti and Ravi Shankar. Seeing how taken I was with the music, my student Raju gave me the CD, which I was grateful for. And a number of years later, when I would meet up with Rez and Kieran in New York, it all felt very prophetic. So since he brought it up, I'm going to play you just a snippet of Kieran singing on my 2014 world music album, Planetary Coalition, that also featured Rodrigo y Gabriela. We talked about it on that episode. I'm not going to play too much. The focus here is Rez's projects, but just a little bit of Kieran Aluwalia singing my composition, Passage to Pranayama. I've, I've done I've done a lot of these and I just don't for some reason I'm I'm okay to do it with for other people's projects but for my own I don't want to like bring Django shift and set up and do all that stuff but we'll see man if I think things are opening up a little bit so maybe yeah. I can do a little bit of uh, traveling with those guys but I haven't set it up yet. 
That would be really complicated, I would think, just to... Yeah, yeah, you know. It's just too complicated for, for the payoff, if you ask me. Yeah, so Django Shift is on, it's on the guitars you showed me, the Yamaha and the Washburn? Yeah, those are the two guitars I used. Uh, now, Neil probably used like five keyboards or something, so it's a, okay. it's a different, you know... It's a different thing happening there, but yeah, oh, I'm stoked to get into this. And you did a sort of fusiony record. To use the F word, if that's okay. <laughs> what guitar did you use on the, on that? Oh, are you talking about behind the vibration or something? Yes, yeah, the one with Kenny Grahowski and. Oh yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, Mark uh, Shim and uh, Ben Stivers. Um, that I used uh, my my Dean Jellico. It's a it's a semi hollow. Uh, no, semi-hollow electric. Yeah. Um, Those are beautiful. Is there one of the more recent ones? No, no, it's not actually. I couldn't, I, I haven't tried a recent one that I necessarily like, but I haven't tried many either. So, uh, so maybe there are out there, but, uh, but um, this is one from Japan probably about 12 years ago. But it's, it's not from like the, the heyday of... Oh, no, it's it's not actually D'Angelico building it. You know, yeah. not, no. I don't even think he made semi-hollow bodies. This is like you know, it's a thin. It's got f holes, but it's it's, uh -huh. it's, it's thin. And uh, it's it's in most of my recent videos and stuff. Yeah. So that uh, yeah, that's a that's a that's a nice guitar. Um, I mean, I, it's funny because. I have a ton of acoustics, but I don't have a lot of electrics. Like I have them, but they're sitting in the closet. I don't, I don't use them. I don't pull them out for some reason. Once I get used to an electric, I just kind of stay with that. Mm -hmm. With acoustic there, there, like I said, there's fretless here. There's a Yamaha here. There's a guild that I have. It's a thin line that I love, you know, they make some great guitars. I think guild is a say, underappreciated brand. Yeah. They're, they're, I think, yeah, they're, they're, they're fantastic. And then there's, you know, there's a little mini nylon string I bought at the NAMM show like years ago. That's amazing. I don't know where to do it. Then I also have um, uh, uh, a baritone guitar that's amazing, uh, made in Korea. I think it's called Gold Goldstone. Or, you know, these, so there's so many varieties of sounds there. But with electric, for some reason, it's sort of like if it's not a Strat uh -huh. or a Tele versus a jazz guitar, if it's like mostly jazz guitars, I don't need to go back and forth. I'm cool with just. Yeah, you don't need a whole bunch. Yeah. Yeah, it just kind of messes with me a little bit. It's like. I hear you. I, I tend to stick with with one for a few. I get locked into it. But since I've been home, I'm I'm trying to make the rounds. It's like, all right, <laughs> I own this. I acquired it. <laughs> I need to. Uh, yeah, it's my duty <laughs> as the owner of this. to. to yeah, well, you know. I can see behind you. You have all yours yeah, just staring at you. Mine are in the closet. In, 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 <laughs> There's a few in the closet. You just reminded me I have a guild in the closet, which is really good. I need to break it up. Uh, the one up there, yeah, everybody calls that the Alex Lyson guitar, even though you could also think of McLaughlin at one period and um, Don Felder. <laughs> yeah, the Hotel California stuff is all played on a guitar like that. Really? Yeah. Uh, but it was the other cat that did the solo also. What's Joe uh, Walsh? Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. I was, you know, it's funny because of this pandemic. I got into all these things for a while. I was just, you know, when Eddie Van Halen died, I think you yeah. and I were like, we were meeting. messaging about, it. yeah. 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 It's, it's like, I got so into Van Halen again, man. I just, every, like, every night I would, before bed or in bed, I would just be listening to all kinds of 
his videos again that, that went on for like a week or two and because you know once you hit a, a video on youtube it just kind of brings out all the other van Halen. yes the algorithms kick in yeah yeah so <laughs> van Halen live 1981 and <laughs> exactly i was looking for a meditation video and suddenly uh van Halen comes <laughs> up. oh let me just check this out <laughs> so much for meditation yeah <laughs> i got into a lot of things man i got into the band foreigner Really? You were, that's a new thing for you? No, 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 no. That was an old thing for you. You just got it revisiting. Yeah, 15 years old, 14 years old. But listening again to those tunes, I'm telling you, those compositions are incredible. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's, I mean, it's, 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 it's pretty mind boggling with, with these, you know, what some of these bands have come up with, with in terms of raw composition, you know. Yeah, and I guess I guess these days I miss that when I hear radio and stuff. So maybe that's also a reflection of that. But yeah, no, it's definitely there was there was something there, and it was done pre digitally, which is like shocking. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was done on tape, limited number of tracks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean that that doesn't hurt, but but in 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 fact, compositionally in it, it, itself is. You know, I mean, listen to like the best of Foreigner, and it's like, damn, man, these yeah. guys know how to write. Yeah, <laughs> I, I used to hear those songs on the radio so much. I probably, I need to revisit it just because I, I avoided it after hearing it so much. Because well, fun. I did too. Yeah. yeah, after 16 years old, I never went back. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Now in my 50s, I'm like, yeah. kind of like going back in in the pandemic, kind of uh-huh. plus all the streaming stuff, right? Like, yeah, you know. Streaming, it's like oh, foreigner. Let me just try that. Wow, I, was, I forgot yeah. about this. That's so true. And also, you have um, experienced ears, right? Because you've well, now, yeah. how many studios have you been in now, mm-hmm. right? Where you're just listening with a microscope, you're listening for snare reverb or some really specific thing, right? So now your appreciation for this music you grew up with is so different. And especially hearing it on on headphones, noticing the the panning, <laughs> the you know, yeah, totally. yeah. the equalization. Once you get past the understanding how great the tunes are, then you're like, oh, let me check out yeah. the snare, <laughs> you yeah. know. Uh, you just in general about how interesting it is now because you you're, you're like truly an arts guy you know yeah you record music that fans of rush and van halen and the other bands you mentioned but probably aren't that aware of um you know you're getting grants guggenheim fellowship that's you're an arts guy yeah People might be surprised to know, oh yeah, you know all about these Van Halen records and all about Alex Lifeson. So just tell, tell yeah, me about like, that. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm like like Duke Ellington said, the cliche at this point is like, there's either good music or not so good music, something yeah. like that, you know? And that's all there is. I grew up in Los Angeles and just the radio and 
whoever was on that plus the party scene, uh-huh. which you know Rush was a big part of that, and 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 Van Halen and and uh, these are these are all great bands. Now when I listen to them now, okay, some of it might have a nostalgic value to it. Okay, I, I'll admit, you know. Um, you know, brings me sort of back to that when I was 15 and you yeah. know, whatever. But uh, I think it's more than that. I think aside from that, I, I really recognize that there's some amazing grounding here. There's some amazing music here. Yeah. And, and it doesn't matter if you're a snobby jazz player or a classical composer or something. It's a matter of just sort of tearing down the, 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 the seeming walls that, you think you sh- you should have? I mean, oh, rock and roll, oh, commercial music, no, right? You know, right. Of course, of course, no. That's that's snobbery, and it's it's called ego. There's no no use for it, really. You know, yeah. It doesn't it doesn't necessarily get you to the truth. Yeah, that's so true. It's great that you can have that appreciation for it. So just so when you went in that wild left turn into jazz, so you you said Robin Ford, Larry Carlton. Well, those were some of the guys. I mean, Joe Pass was West Montgomery. Joe Pass, those those were like the elite for me. Yeah. But it was also these other guys too that came in the picture. Yeah, yeah. And did you have a vision in mind of being a certain type of guitar player? Like, did, did you at one time want to join a big band, like a a foreigner, or <laughs> or oh, or did you always not a big? Yeah. You're talking about a rock band. Yeah, I mean, a big, yeah, not like a Thad Jones big band, but like a big arena rock band. <laughs> well, pre-16, yes. Uh-huh. Of course, wanted to be a rock star, you know. Yeah. Like like a lot of kids, you know. Like, yeah, okay, yeah. I'll, you know, uh, or not a star, but just a rock and roll player who can make a living off of the music, you know. Um, but then, of course, jazz came and... and and classical music too. I was really into that. And then Indian music came, you know, and then sort of like there's plenty of room for growth with, within those three musics that I felt. So, yeah. I mean, I'm sure you have a similar kind of background too, because you play jazz very well. So, it's, oh, thank you. It, I mean, it's a little different because, you know, I got it, found my way into the rock thing early on and just kind of went with that. But the jazz stuff, you know, came. It was on the side for a long time. Oh, yeah. Of course. Well, you had a lot of success with your band, so yeah, you ride that out. Of course. Yeah. To me, it was always um, it was always normal to uh, you know to have different sides, be able to listen to improvisational music or you know hard rock that you or music that you might hear on the radio, but. I was definitely in the minority, so it's always great to meet musicians that, you know, it's totally normal to, you know, be into music with, uh, you know, that maybe fits the arts, fine arts category. Yeah, if, I mean, some, someone might not expect that to come out of my mouth, but but I, I would say, why not, you know? Yeah. It's, it's uh, there are a lot of serious musicians. Uh, in the rock world, you know, and then there are a lot of non-serious musicians too. So that's probably what waters it down. But, but there are definitely some, I mean, like, a, like we talked about a Van Halen, I mean, geez, he would always find a solution to a problem. And it's, it's, it's really amazing the way he found these solutions, even if it was a technical problem that he, you know, I mean, this was kind of uh, funny in a way, but when he did that Spanish 
tune he would. I mean, I'm not saying we're going to compare that to a flamenco player, but you know, there's just a sample or an example of, of someone who's who is trying to get around, circumvent the idea that he's not, he doesn't have that right hand. So one, you know, this kind of right hand, the picking, yeah. finger picking. So he does it like this. I mean, he captured the flavor. Yeah, he captured the flavor and he added to the flavor. Yeah, that's you know, true too. Yeah, because he added his own. His limitations became a way to add something new. And yep. that's, that's what an artist, that's, that's a good part of a definition of an artist. I've and played that for people who had no idea who it was, you know, like international musicians. And they're just in, in shock when I say that. That's Eddie Van yeah. yeah, exactly. Because it's acoustic and it's not all this distorted, high energy rock. Okay, speaking of high-energy rock, you might not have heard it as much in the clips of Rez so far, but here's one where it does come out a little bit. From 2016, a project called Rezabazi and Junction, Behind the Vibration, the opening track, Holy Butter. But uh, someone like Jim Halls is uh, that's one that's another that was he a huge influence. He's a huge influence. He's probably my number one guitar influence of all time. You know, Jim uh, Hall. Yeah, yeah, and, and and there's of course you know people we mentioned before, Schofield and these guys, uh, Frizzell Matheny and yeah. George Benson. You know all these, but uh, and Pat Martino and what you know, but but Jim Hall. Can't forget something. That. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> um, but Jim Hall, you know. Here's a here's a prime example of an artist who seemed to have technical uh, limitations because he right. wasn't a technician like you know let's say Martino or Benson. Right, he wasn't so, a fast player. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in, in fact, it's it's kind of weird because I was at. I mean, this is a strange thing. I was at Jack Wilkins's house when I was in Manhattan School of Music. He's uh, a guitar player, great guitar, incredible guitar player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I and talk to him at some point. Yeah, and uh, so I was at his house when I was 18, oh, no, 20 or something when I first moved to New York, and I was studying with him, and and Jim Hall called. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, wow. and, uh, and, and, and so, I mean, I wasn't privy to the conversation, but Jack told me afterwards, he's like, oh, that was Jim Hall. I was like, oh, what? Yeah, Jim Hall? Yeah, and he's like one of my main, you know, what, what did he say? He goes, oh, he wanted to ask me about my right hand, my technique. <laughs> and I was like, What? Why wow. would Jim Hall ask you about this at this level, at this stage yeah. of his career? But it just goes to show you that, you know, it's not like he threw out technique out the window on purpose. It's those were he played so deeply to his limitations right. that it added, you know, a huge amount to the to the, you know, to the uh, jazz, you know, uh, you know, the whole the whole experience. I mean, the whole jazz guitar thing changed completely with Jim Hall. Um, and he completely influenced a whole new generation of the best guitar players, which is Schofield, Matheny, Frizzell, Abercrombie. They will all 
you know, you can read in all their writings and, and interviews that Jim Hall was like one of their biggest influences. And you can hear it in their music too. So that's just a great example of, of someone, you know, who has opened the doors through their limitations, you know. Now, I just mean technical limitations, obviously, not music. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, at some point I may use this for a retrospective episode. Okay, I'm going to hit pause right here. I fill res in on some of the recent tribute episodes we've done for Moods and Modes, where we take a deep dive into the life and work of a certain artist. We've lost some real giants in the time since this podcast has started, including Eddie Van Halen, most recently Chick Corea. The appreciation for these episodes has been wonderful. I appreciate the appreciation. And there are so many artists who were lost before we started this podcast who are also deserving of tribute. So I had a recent meeting with members of Team Osiris, and we've been jotting down ideas. And while speaking with Rez just now, Jim Hall made perfect sense. He is added to the list, and I'm going to use some of Rez's footage discussing Jim Hall, which he's graciously agreed to. Obviously, this won't be for a while. We have many episodes to get to. As we wind down, let's hear a little bit more of Kieran Alawalia with uh, Rez's unmistakable tone kicking off the song. It's from a 2005 self-titled release, simply Kiran Alualia. First name spelled K-I-R-A-N, last name A-H-L-U-W-A-L-I-A. We have playlists for the episodes now, too, if you haven't seen them. This is Vokutch, the opening track. You've done three records since I saw you that last. It hasn't been that long. Right, it hasn't been that long. Right. <laughs> but what's your secret? Is there some productivity secret you have? Do you, uh, how do you organize your project? Like, what is it? That's because that, that's impressive. That's a, well, if you want to be honest, I, I, I don't think it's uh, actually that productive. I mean, this is maybe this, this is where the secret lies. I think I'm really lazy. Yeah, you're you're a chill dude. That's the thing. <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, I feel like man, I waste a lot of time 
you know, on, on other things. I watch boxing a lot. I watch sports. I do, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, I mean, look, I, when I get down and dirty, like when I have a project, okay, I will admit that I'm kind of compulsive yeah. about getting stuff done. Like, hyper-focused. Yeah. Hyper. Yeah. There you go. Hyper-focused. Um, but off the grid, like when I'm not really like, you know, in demand of, of something, you know, I can, I can really just twiddle my thumbs and say, man, or, you know, I might teach a few lessons here and there, but even after that, I'm like, you know, that lesson just burned me out. I think I'm just kind of chill now for the rest of the day. It's like, you know, some other people might think that's really kind of lazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, like, man, you gotta not lazy. That's a bad word, but um, you know, but you might think that I'm constantly working on things, but no, I, I think I, I had, I have a lot more potential to get things, to get things together. Like there's a the solo guitar thing I was going to do. I mean, that kind of went by the wayside, you know, um, because of the pandemic, but I have all these great guitars. I was going to multi-track and do all that, but I just, I don't know. I just don't, I didn't feel it at the time. So I think it's a natural direction that happens when it happens. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's obviously productive though it's obviously you know like even if you're not doing every project that you're envisioning you're doing multiple projects and you know far more than average which is uh yeah i don't know what average is but uh you know i'm you know like for instance 2020 2020 i haven't been working on too much i mean i'll come up with ideas and i'll just put them down on tape or on my phone. <laughs> um, and, but uh, in 2021, I'm, you know, I've, I've gotten this Guggenheim. So it's going to, I'm going to start moving towards that a direction of, of doing something again, but yeah. it's been a year. I haven't done yeah. anything. So now you have incentives. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that whole year was sort of like, uh, you know, let me just, you know, I taught some, I put some ideas down, yeah. um, but I didn't complete anything at all in right. a year. So, Maybe next year I'll complete two things. Yeah, that's, the, yeah. that's a cyclical idea. You know, first stage of ideas. They're on um, exactly. Voicemail. I mean, I think I think uh, just to add to that, um, I think an artist needs space and time. Also, you can't constantly be working and then not you know hearing the ideas that might be coming to you because right. you have to always, allow your your brain to breathe. I guess. Yeah, you need to allow yourself to waste a little time because that time you open up the senses and, and the doors and then something might, you know, be put in that you, you had no control of. <laughs> That's so true. That's so true. That's good to know. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So the next project is going to be the, uh, the blend, the cross-cultural project, which I'm really excited about. Is this the, is this the first such project you've done or is yeah, I, of, yeah, of this nature. I mean, yeah, I would, I would say so. Yeah, and this really brings like your cultural heritage and sort of Western upbringing together. Yeah, yeah, in in the sense, yeah. I mean, I, that 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 happens with a lot of my music. I mean, I lean more towards the West because that's where I am. I grew up in California after four years old, you know, being in Pakistan, but. Yeah, so you came at that age. Yeah, I was born over there, and and, and I grew up as an American in Los yeah. Angeles. You know, I'm, can't get much more. <laughs> You're all American, my friend. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> surfing, surfing, and yeah. riding bikes, and all kinds of stuff. So, and yeah, rock and roll, of course. Yeah. Um, 
but you know exactly yeah but going back you know i mean digging you know as an artist digging back into the music that's what's and and marrying uh, a brilliant uh, singer yeah and composer um that has influenced my life in the last you know 20 18 years or so unlike anything i could have gotten out of studying in college or whatever yeah it's it's like i'm living it so um you know uh but yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's funny because like I, I like to be seen as a musician first and for, as an artist first and foremost, not as an sort of an Indian American artist or a Pakistani American artist who's bringing this stuff to jazz because that's not really I'm being influenced as a jazz musician by everything around me. Right. You know, it happens to be this is powerful stuff. This Pakistani Indian music and. And I have it sort of in my blood already, so it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm real excited to see where that goes. So. Yeah, yeah, and you too. I look forward to seeing whatever projects you come up with. And Thank you. Yeah, well, I have to come down to your place and try some of those guitars. I'm just oh, please. My yeah. mouth is just Any watering time. right now. Yeah, I'm just looking just at more. The... It's like it. It extends. There's a couple indications. <laughs> Definitely. That's a that sounds great, man. Well, thanks, uh, Alex. Yeah, man. Thanks. It's good. Uh, good to see you. Definitely, we'll definitely uh, hang out and play again. And I definitely want to do that. Things are opening up, so we're sounds good, bro. Awesome, bro. All right, man. Great to see you. Yes. Hi to Karen. Definitely. I'm, yeah, she and she says hello, and uh, we'll talk. Uh, we'll definitely talk soon, and keep in touch. You got it. All, All right, right bro. Thanks. Take care, man. And episode sixteen is in the books. This was a really fun one and informative. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And I'd like to thank our guest, Rez Avazi, for making time for Moods and Modes, not once, but twice, once in person pre-launch and more recently via conferencing platform. And yes, we went over an hour, but we were dealing with two visits, somebody with three recent albums and a lot of great things to say and play. And there is more that didn't make the cut. It was affected by the sound quality, the opera lesson going on next door. But some of it's worth releasing as bonus material. So uh, Patreon members, keep an eye out for that. And first and foremost, thank you, Patreon members. Thank you, all listeners. Thank you, everybody who's given us a review. And if you like what you're hearing on Moods and Modes, please tell friends, mention it on your social media, and that'll be much appreciated. Moods and Modes is presented by Osiris Media, hosted and produced by yours truly, Alex Skolnick. Osiris production by Kirsten Cluthy and Brad Stratton. Final edits and mix down by Brad Stratton. Music up front and here by Alex Skolnick. Here we are joined by Matt Zabrowski on the drums and Nathan Peck on the bass. Oh, artwork by Mark Dowd of Osiris. So thank you, everyone who makes this possible. Thank you once again for listening and for spreading the word. It seems to be spreading, by the way. I didn't have time to get into this in the housekeeping, but some exciting stuff is coming up. We are stocked with episode content. You're not going to want to miss it. So that's it for this time. See you on the next one. Take care and be safe. Osiris. What is a city without its music? 
the legacy of the New York Philharmonic. It's incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts. Hey, listeners. I want to tell you about the April-May 2023 issue of Relics Magazine. It features a Dave Matthews Band cover story with additional articles and interviews with The National, Graham Nash, Wayne Shorter, ALO, Ivan Neville, our friend Eric Krasno and Stanton Moore, Marty Stewart, and much more. Check out the latest version of Relics and subscribe now at relics.com slash DMB. Thanks, Relics. Hi, this is Henry Kay, host of the number one music history podcast, Rootsland. Come with me on a journey to Kingston, Jamaica, where we explore the world of reggae music and the untold stories of some of the genre's greatest legends. From the ghettos and tenement yards where the music was born, to the island's iconic recording studios. We are so excited to team up with Osiris Media, the leading storyteller in music. Because as you'll hear, sometimes the story is the best song.